you want your employees to take more responsibility for their job? To have a greater interest in business results, performance, and the growth of your company? Be more engaged? Well, then stay tuned for my next guest who's going to explain how open book management can help you achieve all of those goals and more. This is Business Confidential Now with Hannah Hassel-Kelchner, giving you the inside scoop on how to ignite more business success by doing the right things in the right way. Welcome to Business Confidential Now. I'm your host, Hannah Hassel-Kelchner, and today I am thrilled to welcome Chris McKittrick to the show. Chris McKittrick is a certified public accountant, but not just any public accountant. He's a graduate of Drexel University, earning both his undergraduate degree and MBA there. He's also a CGMA, a chartered global management accountant. And during his 40 years of career, he's held various leadership positions that include audit, financial management, and information systems spanning a broad range of industries. He's also served as a director of members in business, industry, and government for the AICPA, the American Institute of Certified Public Accountants. Chris also teaches at the North Carolina State University at the Poole College of Management, where he's taught over 10,000 students, not all at once, in undergraduate and graduate classes covering financial, managerial accounting, planning, budgeting, fraud, and internal controls. That it. That wasn't enough. To top it all off, Chris is also a certified coach for the great game of business, the most celebrated approach to open book management and the only business operating system that is proven to drive rapid financial results and lasting cultural change. And that brings us to today's show, learning more about open book management and how it can drive high performance without driving you crazy. So let's have him join us now. Welcome to Business Confidential Now, Chris. Thank you, Hannah. Great to be with you. Well, I'm just thrilled to be chatting with you, Chris, because when it comes to transparency and open books and things like that, lots of executives, managers, and entrepreneurs really believe that they're being transparent when they share quarterly or year-end results with their employees. Isn't that type of financial transparency enough to get employees more engaged? Well, that, that certainly is a, a common uh, theme that you hear people say, well, we're open. We do uh, open financial reporting. We have quarterly meetings, monthly meetings. But, you know, it's, it's a little bit different when uh, you share the numbers after it's too late to do anything about them. The game is over. And the difference with open book management and the great game of business is you're working with your, your employees, your teammates to change the score. Knowing the score is one thing, but you want to help them change the score. The players will change your results. So that's open book financial reporting, which is very different than open book management, what we're talking about here today. Uh, so it's a timing question. The reporting is after the fact, and management is real time. Management is real time. You're, you're huddling with your, your teams are huddling as you go through the, the month, the weeks, and you're looking at where you're going to be, what's your goals, how are you getting there, what are the obstacles, how can we help each other, 
and everyone understands the financial results. Everyone has been educated and uh, they know the rules. There's financial transparency. They know how to keep score. They huddle up so that they can keep track of how they're doing and make changes to influence the outcome. Is this really just for manufacturing? Does it apply to other industry sectors? The interesting part is that a lot of people, when they first learn about it and they read the uh, about the, the genesis of this with Springfield Remanufacturing and, and what they do, they think, oh, this is just a this this is just something for manufacturing companies when in reality the industry doesn't matter one of the things that the great game coaches say to people or people talk well you know it's very interesting your concept but i i'm in uh, this business or that business and uh, you know you just it's it's just very different and the response that we would give is well hold a second uh, do you have a profit and loss statement well, yes, we do. Okay, we're ready to go. Because it's all about helping people focus on the profitability and sustainability of your organization. It doesn't matter what business it's in. You got a profit and loss statement, we can do great game of business. We can do open book management. So that's a real key to thing that, that people need to understand. There's a track record out there and you can find someone in the open book management community, in architecture, in um, catering businesses, in manufacturing businesses, in agricultural businesses. Um, you just keep going, name a business, you know, uh, heavy equipment uh, dealerships, automobile dealerships, uh, landscaping companies, you name it, you can find an organization who is practicing uh, open book management using the great game methodology. So industry does not matter. What matters is, do you want to uh, improve that profit and loss statement you have and better improve the sustainability, long-term sustainability of your organization? Let's get down to some nitty gritty and the basic principles. What what would you say the basic steps are in this in this uh management process because it's not reporting it's it's a process as you just educated us on sure and and there is a process to it the the great game of business has been around for well getting closer to 40 years than than anything else uh, and and started with a company out in missouri called the springfield remanufacturing and you know they came up with this process and they're still one of the only living laboratories out there where you can can look at this methodology and go see how it works and the and the core principles are basically knowing and teaching the rules to your your people with transparency and education and getting them involved in planning and focusing on something called the critical number and as you get focused on the critical number then you have to follow, follow what's going on in the action and keep score. And the way you do that is you have scoreboards uh, within your, your facility. And you have huddles where people literally get together. It's no different than think of a basketball game. What happens when uh, the coach calls timeout? Everybody huddles up. Where are we? What are we doing? What do we have to change differently going forward? 
So let's get together and, and come up with a new plan, make our changes, and keep going and, and uh, attack our problems and issues. It's a, a concept that they call forward forecasting, and forward forecasting sounds a little redundant when you think about it, but it's, again, talking more about where we're going to be than where we are or where we have been. Uh, and the other key part of open book management is providing your teams a, a stake in the outcome. You know, do you have the proper rewards and recognition for people? Uh, how do you involve them? And there's a process called mini games. And it, it's something that, that I'll just give you a little anecdote uh, with a, an organization. I was in their facility. It's not uh, far from, from my home. And, and uh, I happen to know the leader of the organization. I was in, in the conference room and there was a poster on the wall that said, uh, you know, we want all our employees to uh, act like owners. And I looked at this uh, leader and I said, that, that's really good. I like that poster. So if you want your employees to act like owners, can you tell me how you treat them like owners? And you just heard that little pause there because that was the silence I got. Like, well, um, we maybe don't treat them like owners. So if you want them to act like owners, but you don't give them a stake in the outcome for their actions, good, bad, good or bad, and yet you want them to act like owners. So a key part of this is in that, what's the stake in the outcome that you give the people who are playing the great game? The key or the, the linchpin in all that is this idea of focusing on a critical number. What in the next period of time is something that will be key for our organization to survive. Uh, and, you know, here we are in 2020, and nobody started out 2020 thinking that we would have all the challenges that uh, we're encountering. And what's one of the things people are worried about? Cash. That could be a critical number that you need to focus on. Well, do all your employees from top to bottom understand how their actions might influence the cash flow of the organization? Do they have any concept of what that means? Well, if you've been financially transparent and educated them, they'll understand how their actions will help positively impact that critical number of cash flow. So in a, in a, in a nutshell, you're knowing and teaching the rules to the employees you're following the action and keeping score. You're providing a stake in the outcome all while you're focused on a critical number for the organization. That's a lot to unpack, Chris. <laughs> that is a ton to unpack, isn't it? Yeah, it, it is. It is. A whole lot. It is. I, I'm interested to learn more about giving employees a stake in the outcome. Can you give us some concrete examples? Because I have a feeling some listeners are saying, oh, so now they want big bonuses. Now they want automatic raises. I mean, is, is that the type of thing you're referring to or is it something else? Uh, help me understand that better. Well, yes and yes. Uh, the, the yes part is, sure, a stake in the outcome is a bonus plan. But how many times in organizations are there bonus plans 
that, that people don't even understand how they impact it. Uh, you know, one of the great examples that we may have all seen is in the movie Christmas Vacation, when, uh, you know, Clark gets his Christmas bonus and it's the Jelly of the Month Club. And he had no idea what was going on. In fact, he had no idea how the bonuses were determined. Uh, we've been in organizations where, you know, there's dog fights which occur because this division needs a bonus and that one wants a different thing and they have different measures. So there's all these type of things about bonuses. And, of course, these incentive plans alone don't improve performance. But if you've got people working and they can see how their actions contribute towards building the bonus plan for themselves and how they can help enlarge that bonus plan, it's pretty interesting. How many organizations do you know that pay bonuses four times a year? Not too many. In fact, um, I don't know any other than people who play the great game of business that uh, it keeps people involved and enthused. And one of the first things in building a bonus plan is this idea that you, you need to make sure that everyone understands we have to ensure the company's financial security first. And once we have that, is you know there's a minimum amount uh, of return that we need to get. And then we can rally people around the goal and use, we use the bonus program to teach people about the business. What's happening with cost control? Well, we lost a major customer. What does that mean? Well, our, our raw materials, our inputs, our labor costs are going up. How do we do all those type of things? So the idea is communicate, communicate, and communicate some more. And you're looking to give them that stake in the outcome because people uh, will tend to support what they've helped create. So if they're creating their own bonus pools, they're going to go after that pretty big time. And the other thing that often happens with, with all these uh, stake in the outcome is many organizations might share things through an ESOP or share some ownership. So there's that piece of stake in the outcome that comes into play too. So, you know, you're looking to make sure you sustain the organization and then from there, you're looking to give people a stake in the results of their work. That sounds complicated. I mean, how do you teach non-accountants all of the backroom stuff that goes into understanding how the numbers get created, which numbers are critical? I mean, there's just like a ton of education, Chris. Absolutely. There absolutely is. You have to be committed to that. And the education is really uh, by doing some simulations and other things, you can play some games with them so they understand. But I, I've seen in, in an organization where uh, you walk in and in their break room, you walk in and all around the wall, there was the balance sheet, the income statement, the cash flow statement, and anybody from the manufacturing floor to the loading dock, to the executive suite can walk in there at any point in time and see what the goals are, see what the results have been, and see what the forecast is. Uh, it's amazing when you do the huddle process uh, and you see people come in and they're following the action. They actually have scoreboards in their own binders where they can keep track and, and understand what's happening. So there has to be a commitment to training. You're not teaching them to be CPAs. 
you're not teaching them gap rules. You're teaching them, you know, the basic fundamentals of what's a balance sheet, what's an income statement, what's an asset, what's a liability, how do we generate revenue, how do we generate and control our expenses, and how do we turn all that into cash. So it's a, a, a actually pretty simple process that just takes time and commitment and the employees get it and they're following the action and keeping score in their own binders. It's a phenomenal thing to see. It so sounds you... totally fascinating, Chris. It, you know, it seems like there's a lot of trust for managers to let go of of decision making in this. In your experience, how have the successful ones been able to do it? Well, they the, this whole process starts with the right leadership. If, if you don't have the right leadership in your organization, if you've got people who are scared to show numbers, who were scared that people can't handle it, uh, they, you're, you're really behind the eight ball to get started. If you, you know, part of the philosophy of great game is if you set higher expectation levels, people will meet them. You just help them get there. Uh, so when you have leaders who uh, just have this fear of transparency, they just walk away. Go do something else because this is not going to work for you at all. You're going to be quite uncomfortable. And it's not about every number. It's not that everybody knows everybody else's salary or everybody knows uh, you know, everything down to the nth degree. But you do have some idea of, you know, here's what our revenue is, here's our profit plan before tax, and here's what we need to have for capital expenditures because everybody wants new computers, new manufacturing equipment, whatever your business is. And they have an idea of, okay, well, if we're going to do that, we got to pay for that, okay? How do we generate that cash? So, you know, the leaders um, – have to be able to embrace the idea that I can get out of the way. Um, I don't have to live uh, in a in a cave. Um, if you don't want to live in a glass house, or you're in a in business for a short term and trying to make as much money as possible and bail out, then open book probably isn't for you. It's not a quick fix remedy for every ill that you have but it will change your culture for the long time, long term, and long time. So I don't know well, if that really answers your question or not, but, you know, no, don't I hesitate think it, to call me out. <laughs> <laughs> you know I wouldn't. <laughs> I know you would. <laughs> <laughs> A couple things. This idea of being able to change the culture, I think that's really fascinating. And if I recall, when we were setting up this interview, you actually gave me an example of how this open book management concept helped turn around a failing business and turn it into a raging success. Can you tell us about that? I'll tell you about, we could go find any number of organizations who have had those, those type of uh, turnaround successes and uh, even some recent stories where, you know, just recently, uh, you know, everyone this year has kind of been uh, knocked for a loop. And what are we going to do? And, and I'm aware of an organization that happened to be in uh, uh, the food service business 
And they, of course, were knocked for a big loop. And what they did is the employees who were used to open book management started coming up with some really creative ideas that, frankly, in another culture would never have been shared. Uh, another one that, that you and I talked about probably was a, an organization that made equipment for uh, the brewing and dairy industry. They had been through uh, several buyouts and venture capital, and it was a mess, and they were going uh, nowhere fast. And it was a long time, you know, long uh, history in the organization. And they realized they just had to do something different. And they went after open book management and changed their culture. And they immediately uh, started seeing some results and say, wait a minute, this looks like this could help. And over a period of time, when they started getting it into the culture and getting people involved in the game uh, and understanding what was happening, their whole, their whole future changed. So, I mean, we could come up with any number of examples uh, that are out there of organizations who just decided they had to change that culture. They had leadership that was open to it. I'll share one more so I don't uh, monopolize the conversation too much here, uh, is that uh, someone I've known for years and years and years had tried uh, to implement or uh, great game open book management in several different organizations and the leaders, frankly, just didn't get it. They're just very uncomfortable with it. Well, this person moved on to a different organization and, and introduced it to the concept to the, the owners of the company who were starting to realize that after 50 years in business, they were about to get out. They wanted to have a 100-year anniversary for this organization. And they realized maybe they didn't have the leadership that the people who understood what the business was about. And so they decided to pursue open book management and took a lot of very young people who had virtually no uh, business training. You know, they had been more in the technology, uh, a technology type field and started bringing them into the conversations about revenue generation, expense control, how do we do this? How do we manage our cash flow? Uh, and it has started to revolutionize what's happened uh, in that it's starting to build a base of leadership for the future. And the, the people who are you know, getting towards the time when they're thinking of bowing out of the business are extremely comfortable now with, hey, we are building a foundation of success by involving more people in the process and being transparent and getting them involved in the numbers and the people who are doing it, they were, they're just so excited because they're like, we had no idea that this was an issue. We had no idea how that worked. We had no idea of the fact that, uh, you know, we have to worry about that cash flow to meet payroll. They never thought about it. They just did their job. Now they go out and they're like, okay, how is this going to impact where we are making our bonus and paying our bonus with the, with the right amount of cash? Those are really inspiring examples. Uh, I appreciate you sharing those. There, you know, a couple times. Of them. <laughs> I'm sure there are. <laughs> it sounds like there need to be a few thousand more because of the types of things that 
it can do for an organization, make it more self-sustaining when everybody has a part. Now, you have referred to this a couple of times as a game, and I've got some really sharp listers, and they're probably saying to themselves, this is no game. This is business. This is serious. It is not frivolous. Can you help explain why it's called the great game of business? Well, it, it started a long time ago when when uh, Jack Stack and Open Book people started this and they came up with the great game. And you know what? People like to have fun, too. People like to play games. They like to be challenged. Don't people like to win? Sure. How, many, how many times have you ever played a game with anybody and they decided, oh, I'm going to play this game to lose? <laughs> uh, well, if you do, you are going to lose, all right? Um, it, so, you know, the idea in business, like in life is you want to win. And if you start looking at business, like a game, you know, in any game, there's a goal in any game, there are rules in any game, there are scoreboards and in any game, there's a reward for winning and it's no different in business. You got a reward for winning. You get bonuses. You got uh, growth in jobs. You got career advancement. You got all those things. And if you play it like a game, it can be fun. And if you think of it that way uh, and you say, hey, I'm a player, I'm not a fan, I'm a player and I'm involved, I don't just observe. That's part of the idea of making it a game. Well, that's a fair example. Thank you for clearing that up. I, I think. Understanding that also makes people realize that it's a shared responsibility. Um, you know, you referenced it before about people kind of sitting back or being a fan, you know, like, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll come to the game and I'll just sit back and I'll watch. And some people take that approach to their jobs and they're not as engaged because they don't really feel like they have that stake. They're not on the playing field. And this open book management approach gives them a role on the field. They know exactly what their contribution is going to be and how they can make a difference, which is really what employee engagement is all about, uh, understanding that you can be recognized and that people are counting on you to carry your part of the ball. So I, I think that's really, really uh, helpful. Chris, you know, you have well, got a – go ahead. I just want to add add something to that a little bit on this. When when you think about it as a as a game or, or whatever that uh, you know, how many leaders do we know that say trust us, and then they turn around and don't trust their people, their players. Well, if you're going to do open book, and that's all what this is about, as you say, you're involving people in the game. If you go as a fan, you know sometimes you can get bored and uninterested in the game. You can uh, uh, just get easily distracted but if you know that you're playing this game and you know you've got a score to win the game uh, you're going to be a lot more focused and your leaders got to trust you and sometimes get the heck out of your way so that you can go do what needs to be done and and do some uh, blocking and tackling for you uh, and let you run with the ball so you know sports analogies can get a little bit old but they're certainly uh, apropos here when you, you think about it. Yeah, that's a good point, Chris. I, I like that. 
I like that. Now, you've got a, a really interesting background, and uh, I, I find it kind of fascinating that you're heavily involved with this great game of business. Would you mind sharing with us what influenced your decision uh, to choose that path? Well, there were a couple of things. Just, just uh, my whole career, I've had uh, great leaders, and these aren't people who, who you know, are widely known, but people I respected and. Uh, you know, in, in the way they approach working with people and with teams. And, uh, you know, I, I go back to when I, I took on one of those, those roles that uh, sometimes uh, people look at my background and say, this guy's been all over the board. Well, I've always viewed myself as a, a pretty strong utility player. In other words, what do you need, coach? Put me in. I'm ready to play today. And I, I got put in charge of a, a, an IT shop in a, a medium-sized chemical company. And it was an interesting experience uh, because first the, the IT team was like, what? <laughs> this, uh, what? Well, so I knew I needed to work with them. But here, here's where the most eye-opening thing came to me about the need for ed- education uh, financial education for people, good people. They came to me at the, towards the end of the fiscal year. And they told me, well, we want to buy some stuff. I said, great. That's good. What do you want to buy? Why do you want to buy it? Well, what do you think the answer was? Don't forget. I told you what time of year it was. It was towards the end of the year. Oh, that's right. We want to buy budget. We want to buy it. There you go. You got it. <laughs> Not much gets past you. <laughs> so, I mean, Hannah, that's right. It's like, well, it's in the budget, so we need to go buy it. And I realized, ooh, hold on a second here. And I said, do you guys understand that there, we have a lot of revenue in the budget, too, that isn't going to happen? And just if I could, I said, I hope you won't be insulted, but do you think I've got a pile of cash in my bottom desk drawer that if we don't spend it, we're going to need to go down the hall and give it back to the controller. Well, yeah. Oh, there was a big thing. I said, okay, hold on. No, 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 no. Let me help you with this. And they, we went through the whole thing of when there's no revenue, there's no cash flow, there's no this. And, and they're like, wow, nobody ever explained that to us before. That makes a lot of sense. Thank you. And I realized these were good people. They were, they were not, uh, you know, they were good people, smart people, but nobody ever really talked to them about business. And from then on, it, it just became something in my mind of, you know, I do have a financial bent towards things, but you need to help people understand the, the finances. And I very frequently would take the company financials and I would break them down in terms of a dollar and just say, well, how much do you think we make that keeps the bottom line, gets to the bottom line? What do you think we spend on payroll and benefits, spend on utilities, spend on this, spend on that? And when you showed people this profit and loss statement in terms of a dollar, their eyes got big and they were like, oh, wow, that is so cool. I never knew that, you know, that the, for for every dollar net dollar, we had to sell a dollar seven because of returns and allowances and discounts and shipping. And then from there, it's like, well, 34 cents goes to raw material. 
33 cents goes to payroll and benefits. Here's what goes to utilities. Here's what goes to travel and entertainment expenses. And people look at that, it's like nobody's ever shown us this stuff. Well, when you show people and they get an idea of how they can impact the organization and how their actions make a difference, it changes behavior. And that's really what this is all about, changing people's behavior. So that got me started in it. And then then, uh, serendipitously, I had the opportunity, gosh, over 10 years ago now, to go out to Springfield, Missouri, where I first saw this great game in action. They didn't know me from Adam. And I walked in, and within a half hour, I could have told you just about anything you wanted to know about that organization. And I could have been a spy from their biggest competitor. And they were like, that's okay. We, we beat you anyway. And it was just like, whoa. And watching people come in off the factory floor and, and actually pulling out books and following numbers and asking questions. And I'm like, wow, these people have an idea of what's going on. And it just, it just is kind of in my own DNA is, uh, and and it, it's a, a, an expression that's used in great game uh, comes from, from Jack. And it's, it's easy to stop one person. It's hard to stop a hundred. And so you get more people involved and the momentum starts and you can keep going. And uh, I've always just believed that the team playing is a lot easier than, than individual matches, so to speak. Definitely. Definitely. So if there is one thing you want listeners to remember about open book management, what would it be? That, it, that opening the books, you know, uh, and, and involving people, and it's more than opening the books. It's not that financial reporting at the very end. It, it's, you know, it's over. The game's over. You need to have people involved in the game as it goes along. And that's a, that's a very key piece to it is the whole idea that, that people tend to support what they help create. If they are in the midst of it and feel like they are part of the creation of something, they're much more likely to get involved and make a difference than if you uh, give them a budget and say, here's your goal, here's your quota, here's your cost control number, Go do it. Well, where'd that come from? Uh, these aren't my numbers. Where? But you need to go do that. If I've sat with you and come up with goals, cost control measures, come up with things and said, you know, this is what we could do. Here's some stretch to it. And we talk about it. Hey, I had a part in developing that goal. I'm sure as heck going to do everything I can to go make sure we're going to, we're going to achieve that goal. In fact, we're going to beat that goal. So the whole idea of involving people uh, at the beginning will help them support uh, those numbers, achieving those numbers that they help create. So that's my biggest thing in the whole, whole idea is get people involved. Well, that is definitely a worthwhile goal. And if any of our listeners wanted to learn more about open book management, and reach out to you, what's the best way for them to do that, Chris? Well, they could certainly send me an email. Uh, 
we have a website. It's obm-assoc.com, obmassociates.com. And my email would be chris, C-H-R-I-S, dot McKittrick, M-C-K-I-T-T-R-I-C-K, at obmassoc.com. And also, I would suggest they go take a look at the organization that I work with called The Great Game. Go to greatgame.com and look around and find a a whole community of people uh, around the country who uh, are practicing open book management, learning about it, uh, and uh, just a tremendous group of organizations and people who, who believe that it's so important to... Uh, really involve people and help them be successful. And that's the key to the whole thing. It's not about one person being successful. It's about all of us being successful. So uh, that's my idea of, of or my um, contact methods. And uh, be happy to chat with anybody. If you want to send me an email, that'd be terrific. Or reach out to greatgame.com. Uh, they know how to get a hold of me, and there's a whole ton of resources there and other people involved in this movement. So uh, I, I hesitate that word that use use that word movement, uh, but it is a, a more of a management operating system that, uh, as Jim Collins said, uh, who wrote Good to Great, it's the only sensible way to run a company. There you go. And we all want to be successful. Thank you, Hannah. It's been a it's been a pleasure and I hope we certainly pique some people's interest in changing their organizations and changing their own futures. So uh hopefully folks will pursue this concept some more. That's our show for today. Thank you for joining me. If you'd like to learn more about today's guest, you can go to our website at businessconfidentialradio.com. It's got a lot of other powerful information and resources available to help your business grow. So be sure to check that out. The website again is businessconfidentialradio.com. I'm Hannah Hassel-Kelchner, and you've been listening to Business Confidential Now. Have a great rest of the day and an even better tomorrow. Tomorrow.